Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman on Monday. Hopefully you guys got to listen to our emergency episode on Friday, the day the Pac-12 died for all intent and purposes. Um, obviously, we want to talk more about the very uh, still fresh, still developing situation with realignment. There was also a uh, the, the preseason coaches, Paul Bruce, came out shortly before we were recording. So what we're going to do is start with some realignment, uh, react to the coaches poll. And then I had put out a call on Saturday for emails and we're going to turn, we're going to do a big long email uh, segment and some of it's going to be event session for some of the fans who are affected by this. And then of course, a lot of good questions as well. Does that sound like a good plan? Okay. So you had some reporting over the weekend. Let's, I want to get into about what exactly led to things falling apart for the Pac-12 and its deal with Apple. Um, you had some some of the numbers and figures into it as well as some behind the scenes um, behind the scenes dealings as this thing is. So so for people who haven't seen the story and we encourage you to to look at it if you haven't yet on the athletic, um, give us the lowdown. Yeah, so I was able to get the actual terms uh, of the deal that George Klyovkov presented on Tuesday morning. Keep in mind, he'd been spending months updating the presidents, telling them what great shape they were in, saying, you know, and, and others said this as well at Media Day, that some new, new bidders had emerged. He said, the longer we've waited, the better our options have become. Well, flash forward to Tuesday. He's got one deal to present and one deal only. I was told there was, by multiple people, there was an expectation there would be two deals to choose from and that the other one was more quote-unquote traditional. It had streaming in it, but it wasn't all streaming. So the deal he had to present them was a streaming-only on Apple. There was no guarantee that they would, you know, they do simulcast games on Fox with um, MLS, but there was no guarantee they would do that with this. $23 million per team guaranteed payout. Obviously, the number they were hoping for was the Big 12 number of 31.7. Um, there was a counteroffer later in the week that got it up to 25, but you're still lagging there. The wholesale was the revenue sharing part. You, you know, every person who subscribed to this Pac-12 product on Apple Plus, the schools, the conference would get a slight piece of it. If they had sold 1.7 million subscriptions... Um, and to put that in perspective, the MLS deal, what was, um, I don't know the exact figure, but it's over a million. It got a big push when Messi joined. Um, if they hit 1.7 million subscribers, they would equal that 31.7. What George Klyovkov was selling them on was to think much bigger than that. You, we can, we can, Apple tells us, I don't know what it said exactly, but there was a projection, a high-end projection of 5 million subscribers eventually. 
is a five-year deal, at which point they would be making into the $50 million range, which would be closer to the SEC and Big Ten than the Big 12. I think, based on some of the stuff he has said publicly and privately, that he genuinely thought they would be blown away by that. Wow. You Not only did you get us 31.7, you got us a possibility of 50. And as we know from what happened over the three days after that, no, they didn't feel a lot of these schools, the schools that left just didn't, it was too risky after what they went through with the PAC 12 network. At the end of the day, you're choosing between potentially a huge upside, but it's not guaranteed. And your games are only on streaming for now versus the big 12 saying, here's 31.7 million guaranteed. And you're in, and many of your games will be on linear. The big 10 who ended up getting Oregon, Washington, Oregon, Washington are coming in for barely more than that big 12 number. But obviously the big 10 deal is, Fox, CBS, NBC. And so they did, it did late Thursday night, like they were going to be able to keep it together. But then Oregon and Washington ultimately did take that big 10 offer. Um, how confident are you that that like, cause I remember we talked about this the other day, quote unquote, cautiously optimistic. I mean, if you're Oregon, like, do you really think Oregon and Washington were ever really like, I, I guess what, what I struggle with a little bit in, in, you know, believing some of this is that they all looked around and go, oh, yeah, this is going to be the way it is. I feel like this is, you know, I don't know if we'll ever get at the truth at some of this, of what people actually, you know, it's like a game of poker. And they're all like, to me, what we've come to realize is this is like a killer be killed kind of dynamic that's playing out in, around college sports. They're all in it for themselves, whether, you know, it's Oregon leaving Oregon State behind, Washington leaving Wazoo behind, no one wanting to look like you're the you're the first one to bolt. Um, that's why I was like, eh, when I saw the stuff on on Friday, some of it Friday morning just seemed like it was seemed like it was a lot of posturing. I mean, the one who clearly doesn't want to be going is Michael Crow at ASU. Um, he couldn't be more more um, clear about you know, we were the last ones still trying to keep the Pac-12 together. He he's the one who called he called the Apple deal. And it's a quote that's made the rounds a 23rd century Star Trek type deal. And he's Mr. Mr. Innovation. He was the biggest champion of the Pac-12 network. So, yeah, I think from what I gathered, he from various reporting, you know, Arizona, I think Arizona, Utah, well, Arizona in particular, let's just focus on them. You know, there was that Board of Regents meeting Thursday night. And there was an expectation, especially from the Big 12, that they were they were coming. And after that meeting, in which Michael Crow, you know, it's been described that he was the holdup, we had a quote in our story from a Big 12 source who said it, that Thursday night they had they were starting to think they weren't going to get those three schools and that the Pac-12 was going to stay together. You asked earlier about Oregon and Washington. I don't I don't know about the Washington side of it, but Oregon, I know. Those deliberations went deep into the night. The best thing I can say is they wanted, they didn't want to have to do this. I mean, it's not ideal to be sending your athletes right to Rutgers and Maryland and Penn state and, and so, so on and so forth. Um, and they, they really want, they didn't want to break up the pac 12, but they, they felt they didn't have a choice by the end of it. So I do think one thing unique to Oregon, and we were told this throughout this process in terms of even even when it came to like, are they going to add San Diego State and somebody else? They liked the idea of being in a small conference. You know, we know Oregon 
they have the they 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 think like a program that's trying to win a national championship, probably more so than the other nine. Um, and they thought if we're in this smaller conference, maybe we can dominate this conference. But the playoff expanding, we can get in the playoff almost every year. They know they're going to an 18-team Big Ten with Ohio State and Michigan and all these teams, and it's going to be a lot harder for them. But at the end of the day, I don't think they could justify um, that they could sell themselves on that Apple deal. I don't think any, but any of them could. Uh, you saw actually a pretty scathing quote from Washington's president on Saturday, first time she spoke to the media there, where she said that, you know, it's kind of, <laughs> it, it blew George up a little bit, George Kaufhoff. So this was not the deal we had heard about even three days, a couple of days beforehand. You know, she's basically like, this was a really bad deal. And she said, you know, it's a bad deal when you're being told that one of the best parts about it is you could get out after a few years. Because as I reported, there was a there was an opt out after three years if it wasn't driving the revenue they thought it should. So I think the upshot is the deal was very underwhelming. It was not what they were expecting. And even after that, they were really hoping to talk themselves into it, that their consultants, they all have consultants would tell them, yeah, this is realistic. You can definitely do this. And the end of the day not but it came close enough that the pac-12 had a press release ready to go friday not san diego state had a press release ready to go it was going to be signed the grant of rights friday morning announce that and then announce that you know expansion and they get on that zoom meeting friday morning in oregon and washington's presence immediately tell them we're going to the big 10 and that was the end of that yeah, look, some of the things that got reported along the way, you know, our old friend Dennis Dodd, a lot of stuff that he put out there, even the Utah AD, Mark Harlan, you know, uh, you know, went on social media and and pushed back. I mean, those that reaction, those reactions and that tweet don't hold up very well in retrospect. Um, no, they don't. Um, and, and credit to Dennis for, um, you know, coverage that like. That again, like you said, like people in the Pac-12 were dunking on. And at the end of the day, what his coverage was suggesting might happen, happened. I think I would love to know, you know, George Klyovkov was, they were constantly having these board, every two weeks, he'd be like, there's a board meeting. He's going to update the presence. There's a board meeting. He's going to update the presence. What was he telling them? Because, you know, Colorado seems to be the only one that, that, that got a hint that it wasn't going to be very good. And even they waited until you know almost the last second because we didn't find this i didn't find this out until this past week but on june 30th they had told george you have until july 31st to deliver the deal the presidents did so he he made them believe that there was some some pot of gold coming at the other side of the rainbow and it clearly clearly it did not so um that's where we are now the big 12s it's as of this recording things change quickly the Big 12's at 16, the Big 10's at 18, and now, of course, we're waiting to see what the heck is going to become of Oregon State, Washington State, Stanford, and Cal. And we're going to get into that a lot in the emails because we got a lot of emails about that. Um, there is a football season coming up. I'll be honest, Bruce. I have not had I have not really had any time to dig into the actual football season recently. Training camps are out, but let's dig into the USA Today preseason coaches poll. Yeah. So look, I don't know how many big, big surprises were in this. I'm going to read the top five. Georgia, no surprise. Preseason number one got 61 of the 66 votes for first place. Michigan they actually got 66. Sorry, you were right. <laughs> Michigan got 
second place. Uh, Alabama with four of the other remaining five first place votes. And Ohio State was fourth and they got the other lone first place vote. And then LSU, USC, Penn State, followed by Florida State, Clemson and Tennessee round out the top 10. Worth noting, uh, six teams that will be in the future Big Ten, and that includes obviously USC, Washington, and Oregon, all made the top 15. And if you look at the top seven, Georgia, Michigan, Alabama, Ohio State, LSU, USC, Penn State, what do they all have in common? They are all in one of two conferences or will be next year, the Big Ten or the or the SEC, the outliers, number eight, Florida State, number nine, Clemson, and number 13, Notre Dame, and then you get number 14, Utah, which would be the highest of the future Big 12 schools. Makes you wonder when these conferences are that much bigger. I mean, somebody still has to lose the games. Will they still? Will the rankings still look like this when, I mean, they, those teams all can't go to 11 and one when they're playing in the same conference, so, or 10 and two. Well, that knock some of those teams down and the top teams and say the big 12, because look at the big 12, the, the highest ranked team that's staying in the big 12 is, well, actually it's Utah at number 14 and then TCU at 16. You would think just by number of losses, those teams are going to move up into the top 10. One thing that stands out to me is I think this says it all about Michigan and kind of was the crux of your article. Do they have enough talent to win the national title? They're number two in the poll but they didn't get any first place votes. Alabama got four. Ohio State got one. And remember, these are the coaches voting. So they seem to think Michigan is going to be really good, but not a single one of them thinks they're the best team in the country. Um, the other thing that was jumped out at me, Oregon State obviously left in the margins, but with all the Pac-12 upheaval, number 18. They won 10 games last year with Jonathan Smith, and Jonathan Smith's peers believe they will still be very good. So... Take that Pac-12, uh, you know. You know, one thing that I do, I did notice a little bit, and I don't want to, maybe we'll get into this later, but there was definitely a lot of people within the Pac-12 who were like, man, you were dunking on us, and it's not, um, you know, I think it's not sitting well for a lot of people who, who kind of left behind and, it, you know, through no fault of their own, but that's the reality, and that's that's unfortunate. Um as you kind, look, of, kind of always happens that way in realignment. I mean, you know, when Texas got the call of the SEC, Texas had been mediocre for a decade. Didn't we call this conference consolidation, not conference realignment at this point? Yeah, I absolutely do. Um, I mean, what a weird world we're entering in now where we will have one conference with 18 and two with 16. These are numbers that used to seem... You know, you remember for years, it was like, oh, I want maybe one day there'll be four conferences with 16 teams. I guess the the thing that people failed to account for that was that the um, that there wouldn't be a necessarily be a fourth. And I mean, the ACC is at 14. But I think, you know, if this holds. Basically, the Big Ten and the SEC are major college football now. ACC has a few teams in it that like Clemson, like Florida State, that, that play at that level. And then the Big 12, again, the, the, you've got – just look at the perception going into this season. Even though TCU was in the national title game last year, the highest-ranked team that will be in the new Big 12 is number 14. Who? You have 14, 16, 17, uh, and 24 among Big 12 teams. 
So let me ask you, who, uh, who, what jumped out at you and say, okay, this team I think is the coaches have them too high and this team I think the coaches are sleeping on? Honestly, it's not – this poll is not that different than the last one I did in the spring. So I can't sit here and say, oh, there's some big surprises. I would say I'm mildly surprised that Oklahoma, after the season they had last year, comes in at number 19. I thought maybe they'd be a, a fringe cusp top 25 team. But that's, you know, that's pretty solidly in there. Um, and then Texas A&M is 25 coming off a five and seven season. So apparently the coaches do have faith in Jimbo. But you and I have said on here, we think Texas A&M, if, if you know, uh, could be one of the surprise teams in the whole country. So I can't really argue with them on that. You did is have, there... I thought you had Clemson much lower. They have them nine. I thought you told me you had them like in the 15, 16, 17 range, right? Yeah, I'm definitely lower on Clemson than this poll. Texas, but I also well, I also yeah. recognize yeah, that seems Texas, I, I've said many times, I don't get the I mean, they are the, the preseason Big 12 pick. They are the highest Big 12 team, despite no history over the last 13, 14 years to suggest they have that in them. Um so that's my personal opinion. If I if you were saying but ahead of time. Where do you think these teams will be ranked by in the polls? I would have guessed Clemson will be around 10th and Texas will be in the top 15. What about you? Um, so I, when I looked at this, you know, I think Texas is higher than I would have expected them. I would probably expect them around 20. I didn't see North Carolina as a top 20 team. I know Drake May is back. I'm not, I'm a little skeptical on them. Um, I think Wisconsin's about right. I, you know, I'm looking at, I've heard good things about Texas tech from people I talked to down there. I'm fine with Texas A&M. Um, it would not surprise me at all. If UCLA was the top 20 team, not Oregon state out of there. I just know that they have, this is the best group of receivers they've had since Kelly's been there. And they have, um, I think much better talent on defense than he's had especially in the front seven. I mean, they have like legit NFL guys. I wouldn't, they have a guys who, some guys who can play in the NFL before, but I just think when you look at the edge guys they have, I think they, I think they have a real chance to be a top 20 team. Um, the thing that I was going to ask you when you look at this, if we take Georgia out of the mix, give me if there are, and then you may say there aren't, but I, I want to say, give me the five teams you think, you know they could be a national title team if everything breaks. Oh, I don't think there's five. Um, uh, wait, you're saying if Georgia didn't exist? If you, or... went to, if you went to Vegas and you've been there and these schools were all, it's not fair to say this because Alabama has four votes, but let's say there were 50 to one shots. Who would you put $20 down on? 50 to one shot. So not so basically somebody that's not in the top five. Cause I would, I would be willing to take a chance on any of the, of any of Michigan, Alabama, Ohio state, LSU. Yes. Where so it starts to get a little dicey. I'm going to give you three yeah. teams. I'm going to give you three teams and they're not teams you like, but I will, I'll give you them anyway. USC, Penn state, Tennessee, Clemson. Give me the school that you would have the most confidence putting $50 on. Definitely USC because they have Caleb Williams. You know, okay. they, 
you know, they have the best player in the country. And if he stays healthy, he gives you a chance to win the national championship. Exactly. Obviously the defense needs to get a lot better, but I am impressed at some of the transfers they brought in. And then the second choice. I'm not going to say Penn State because I don't like the division that they're in to be able to put themselves in a position to get into the playoff, much less win the national championship. Um, I guess I would say Tennessee. I don't actually think they're there yet. I just think at this point in time, if people haven't like I think if I think it's almost dumb to bet on anyone to win the national championship ahead of the season that's not in the SEC. Well, Tennessee's based, based the on the numbers, right? That's why I'm going with them next because if you happen to be the team that has the best team in the SEC that year, or let's even say one of the two best teams, that probably means you're a national championship caliber based on uh, 17 years of history. I think for Tennessee to do that, we know how explosive that offense is. I do think Joe Milton will have a good year, but that's another team that was pretty mediocre on defense last year that would have to get a lot better. Yeah, I, I as as you were talking, I'm sitting there going, do I bait him with this? Do I say if Joe Milton, who has a prodigious arm and is a very good athlete, if he became some Bills version of scale, I'm not talking about like Josh Allen jumping back to college football now at whatever 26. If he became that version in that offense, I mean, he doesn't need to be Cam Newton to lead Tennessee to a national title. I think the first thing you have to, if you're going to jump on the Tennessee bandwagon, the first thing you have to decide is, do I think Josh Heupel is an offensive genius whose offense, you know, I mean, let's just go back and look last year, 38-23 over Florida, 40-13 to in Baton Rouge over LSU. Obviously the most memorable one, they put up 52 points on Alabama. Um, but they got pretty shut down by Georgia. Other than that, their offense was pretty good. Obviously, their defense imploded against South Carolina. Do I believe? And then the big win over Clemson in the bowl game. Do I believe that his offense is the kind of offense that can you can win a national championship with? Or we know there's an Art Bryles influence to that offense. Is it like those Baylor teams where they could score a lot of points on most teams they played, but then they would eventually, you know, run into a defense that that because basically the way you stop that defense is to stop them physically. Tennessee, Georgia, Tennessee could not run the ball on them and they became very one dimensional. Um, that's your question about Tennessee. Do I believe Josh Heupel can win a national championship running that system? And I would say I'm not fully on board with that yet, but probably more so than, than many other people. What about you? It depends. Like, I don't think good enough. I don't think good quote unquote is going to do it for, for, for Joe Milton to win them to win a national title. I think Joe Milton has to be phenomenal. Could he be Hendon? If he, if he did exactly what Hendon Hooker did last year, Not good. I don't think that'll be good enough. Okay. Well, that's a big ask because it is. he no, was look, really good until he got hurt. He was Joe Milton has a bigger arm. Um, Joe Milton's every bit, the athlete. I don't know if he has the same pocket presence. I don't know if he's quite as accurate. Um, but I also know, you know, it's like the people I talk to who are like legit football people who are like watched him at the uh, at the Manning camp just throwing. They're, they're they're awed by his arm talent. Again, I that would be worth twenty dollars in Vegas. The other one that would be worth twenty dollars in Vegas for me is I know there's a lot of wow dudes at Penn State. Like 
in terms of athletes. And I know Drew Aller can be really, really special. It's just, it's year one as a starter, but we've seen guys in year one as a starter. Um, like, again, I think I would have taken, I think they would be worth, I think, I think USC, because as you said of Caleb Williams, and I do think they've upgraded the defense and I like Marshawn Lloyd in the backfield. I think they have a lot of firepower. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I like all of those as long shots. Um, Let me throw one at you. This is a coach you have a lot of respect for, a quarterback who is an absolute superstar, Washington. They have to get a lot better on defense. You know, I think they'll be better. Their linebacking core is solid. They have good edge rushers. I, I'm not saying they have zero shot. Of the three schools I mentioned just a minute ago, I like their chances a little better. Now, look, Michael Penix Jr. is way more proven than Joe Milton is Drew and Drew Aller. Both of those guys are at this point. He's got good receivers, a good line. I think, like you said, the coach knows how to win. I mean, he's really, you know, he's one of the most underrated coaches in the country. Um, it's crazy. Part of me thinks that just like the Pac-10, is the Pac-12, whatever we're calling it, the Pac-12 a little too top-heavy for a team like that to come out of it unscathed. Like, I feel like Georgia can just muscle its way through and I'm not, I'm not bullish on the SEC West right now as much, but whereas I feel like I don't know if there's a huge talent gap between any one of the top five or six Pac-12 teams right now. Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily think there is. And I do think they're going to send a team to the playoff finally. Actually, I think now that it's dying, watch them go out and have like the, the best pot, you know, the best season of Pac-12 football there's ever been or something like that. You know, the six teams in the top 50, I don't know what it would be, but um, it would at the very least be finally getting a team in the playoff. One last one for you. Uh, I feel like this team is going to be very hard to predict. Notre Dame, number 13. Uh, obviously, I believe they did not finish ranked last year. They lost too many games. Don't quote me on that. But they have Sam Hartman. It's year two under Marcus Freeman. Which is more likely? Notre Dame finishes higher than 13th. Notre Dame finishes lower than 13th. I'm going to say higher than 13th. Because they have Sam Hartman, I think they have you know good running backs. I think the question is a little bit of a wild card because I don't, I, you know, just from you know some of the podcasts we've had before, I know you're not the biggest believer in Tommy Reese or weren't. So it's not like he's you're replacing Lincoln Riley there, but I do think he had a feel for what it takes to win there. But I think they would be slightly better than that. I think they're somewhere around 11, 10 ish. I'm right on the fence, and I think I would say higher, maybe not by much, but if it turns out to be the other way around, look at the schedule where you play Ohio State, USC, at Clemson. Those are three top 10 teams. And then I think some tricky games at NC State on September 9th, at Louisville October 7th, at Duke, who was much better in their first year under Mike Elko. So, um, 
it's it's a it's very possible that they're a better team than last year, but they still go nine and three. Um, although I guess nine and three, if you win the yeah. bowl game, you'd be nine okay. and three would get you better than thirteenth. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll say I'll say above. Um, let's get to the mailbag. As always, send your questions to the Audible Pod at gmail.com. We have a we're gonna, lot. We have stuff. a lot. We're going to try to get through as much as we can. Some of it is just people expressing their feelings about the whole thing. And it's going to start with Rafa Sonnenfeld. Hi, Stuart and Bruce. With this past week's collapse of the Pac-12, I'm sure many of us fans are like me, scratching our heads, wondering what our relationship with the programs we love are going to be like. I'm a UW Huskies fan and alumnus in the San Francisco Bay Area. I went to Washington when Nate Robinson, Brandon Roy, and Will Conroy put the UW basketball program on the map. And the football program was just coming off a Rose Bowl victory over Purdue. I also had a cup of coffee, a brief three-month career as I walk on to the men's rowing team, which is the most storied successful sport at UW. That is true. Those are the three sports I care about most. I'm not an NFL fan or an NBA fan. My overall feelings in this moment are ones of mourning. Um... For the end of the Pac-12 era, I'm glad my school landed on its feet in another storied conference of great academic and athletic institutions in the Big Ten, that the fan experience is going to be changed profoundly. Um, I think that's pretty uh, um, in line with what I've seen so far from Oregon Washington fans. They're happy they made it out of there, I guess, and landed in a pretty good place, but they're not loving uh, the effect that that had on the Pac-12. So, uh, you know, how long did, did it does it take you to to acclimate to seeing matchups where it's like, I'll be honest, it's, it's it took me a long time to get past Maryland's no longer in the ACC. It just felt like they were tied to that as long, whereas I think some of the other moves, you know, Miami in the ACC, Virginia Tech. You know, I think when you look at Rutgers, the Big Ten, that seemed a little weird. It still seemed a little weird, but I think Scott somebody- Doctorman and I, by the way, big story today on the Athletic, a long story we worked on for a long time about just how poorly that addition has worked out for Rutgers and the Big Ten. But um, what, what would where would Rutgers be if they weren't in the Big Ten? I mean, I don't know, but even though <laughs> I'm not saying right, it's it's not that Rutgers shouldn't have gone to the Big Ten; they absolutely should have when they could. But the interesting thing in that story is that even though they're making way more money than they did in the big East, they're losing, they have an even bigger deficit and an even bigger debt. So the amount of money they're spending to try to catch up to the rest of big 10 is far outpacing the revenue they're bringing in. I think it depends, Bruce. I mean, I remember thinking Texas A&M and Missouri to the sec was going to be really, really weird. And then Johnny made sure that you that A and M you know was very relevant in the in the um, SEC right off the bat, and then Missouri played in back to back SEC title games pretty quickly. So I feel like that um, acclimation did not take very long. Um, I think you're right. I mean, I think we're all going to have our feelings about this, and then within a couple of years, it's going to normalize. Here's somebody from a, representing a team that got not a great outcome, Mark McDonald. My wife and I met because of Pac-12 football, her being an Oregon State alumni and me being an ASU alumni. I guess it's actually worse for his wife. I was immediately smitten to know she had season tickets and I'd be able to see my beloved Sun Devils play every other year with her. I would love to hear some of your favorite memories of the Pac-12 slash 10. And I will go first. And this is a memory I have too. Our very first game took us to a Thursday night game where Oregon State was hosting number one USC. 
We watched in amazement as a freshman named Jacquiz Rogers ran downhill and his brother James hauled in a pair of touchdown passes to create a 21-0 lead going into the half. The euphoria turned to dread as Mark Sanchez led USC up and down the field in the second half. But ultimately, the Beavers were able to record their first victory against the number one team in our lifetime. I remember that game very well. Um, this was the BCS days where you often couldn't afford a mulligan, and that one loss kept a very, very good US team, USC team from making the national championship game. Uh, one of the games that stand, one of the games that stands out to me was early on when I moved out to Los Angeles, and it was. USC hosting Cal. Um, they were top 10 teams at that point. I had gotten to know Aaron Rodgers that offseason. I ended up golfing with him at, when he was a counselor at the Elite 11. Um, and so I watched that game where at that point he was a little bit of a mystery. You know, he wasn't, a, obviously, he was not a recruit of any note at all before he went to junior college and then blossomed there. And he was almost as perfect as you could get in a game. And yet at the end, I mean, he rallied them because I think they were they were down 10 nothing at the start of the game and just kept on playing and playing. But ultimately, at the end, uh, it wasn't it wasn't enough. USC's defense stood up at the end of the game and made a play. But that was one of the best games I've ever seen in terms of a regular season game. You know, it was very much a an old Pac-10 game, you know. Cal had a lot of a lot of talent that Jeff Tedford had had gotten there. Um, USC was really building into being a mega powerhouse. That uh, for me, as somebody who just moved out there, it was just a kind of an awesome scene where it felt like it was the epicenter of the college football world. I was at that game too. Um, that was very memorable. I don't think I fully appreciated it at the time who Aaron Rodgers was about to become, but that was definitely a big breakout game for him. Um, I'll go. I mean, there's so many things you could choose from. Uh, this one was not a great game, but it was a very memorable game. You know, USC had been rolling for so long under Pete Carroll at that point in 09, it started to unravel a little bit. And I was at a Halloween night game. At oh, Oregon, I remember what you're talking about. Yeah. Where Chip Kelly's ducks just blew them out of the water. I remember being in the post-game press conference where Pete Carroll was just like stunned that that could have happened to his team. It felt in the moment like a changing of the guard kind of moment. And it really was. Cause that was, you know, from that point forward, um, well, first of all, Pete Carroll left at the end of that season. And from that point forward, that was, you know, Oregon became a dominant team in that conference for the next, you know, six or seven years. And one of the most exciting teams to watch. And I mean, I remember, I felt like Oregon football under Chip and then like a little bit under Helfrich was must-see TV because you never – like and on any given play, Michael James was going to break a 60-yard touchdown. Um, or they would get off to a slow start and then they would suddenly score 28 points in seven minutes. Um, I think you could argue that was the last great era of the Pac-12, actually, the early 2010s when they and Stanford were going toe-to-toe uh, -to -toe at the top of the conference. It kind of started going downhill shortly after that. Yeah, you had some. You had the good Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh rivalry. As, yep, yep. As he really turned that program around. I mean, there was some. There was, you know, we, we obviously are relatively new to it because there was a lot of great stars that were in the league way before you and I both moved out to Southern California. Um, 
Yeah, we should bring on somebody who can talk about like the great, uh, you know, 1960s USC UCLA games. I feel like we need to, to, to get Tim Tesselin off the volleyball court. Yeah, the exactly. Volleyball. I remember in college, we used to love the late night um, Pac 12, you know, it was Pac 10. Like the Pac 10, they always had like a late night Fox Sports Net game, and it was like Ryan Leaf against Cade McNown or um, Jake Plummer against, you know, they had some great players during that era. I'm going to skip down to Dan, Bruce and Stu. Love the pod, but it seems like you're forgetting the last 20 years. Okay, so he's wondering why, I forgot the subject line, or something like, why is everybody so sad? In 2012, the Big East was dismantled, and the team that had won four titles in the last six years was left behind, the Cincinnati Bearcats. Stuart, did you write a sad obituary about the Big East and the Bearcats who have been playing football since 1885 back then? It also seems like there wasn't much sadness for the Big 12 when Texas and Oklahoma, Texas and Oklahoma decided to leave for the SEC, it was just assumed they were probably going to be picked apart and left for dead, but no one seemed to care. Why now is this so sad? Is it because you live 15 minutes from Stanford and Bruce lives on the West Coast also? Don't you remember your time in Cincinnati? Remember uh, your time, Stu. You still probably have – your body hasn't even digested the last time you probably ate Skyline <laughs> five years ago. Exactly. I mean, I was the one watching the, the Bengals and the Super Bowl in the playoffs. I, look, I'm not – I'm a human being. I've really enjoyed living on the West Coast. I enjoyed – I did not have hardly any exposure to the conference before that. I've enjoyed getting to, to meet the people across it, see what the atmosphere is like in the various campuses. So, yeah, it is sad for that reason. But I also just think not that – I don't like when anybody gets left behind in realignment. And he's right. Cincinnati was a big loser in that round of realignment. But Cincinnati had only joined that conference in 2005, and the Big East as a football conference had only existed for maybe 20 years. We're talking about the destruction of a conference that has been together in some form since 1915. We're talking and about not as a, not yeah. just as a football brand. I mean, right. when I think of the Big East, quite honestly, I think of some schools that really aren't factors in football: Georgetown, St. John's, Villanova. Um, you know, of those three, Villanova's the only, you know at least Villanova's produced some NFL players here and there. But it's just like that was the basketball powerhouse of like you know, the eighties and was must see and, and everything else. But it was very different from watching, you know, Tremaine Mack run back kicks for Miami in the nineties when it felt like that was very much, okay, that's, you know, for a lot of it, those were independent schools like Miami, West Virginia um, that ended up together in the football side of it. It's very different than, you know, John Wooden's UCLA and all the Olympians and, and great athletes at Stanford's produced or, you know, some of these other programs that are so much generations back that are tied to that. I also think, I mean, there's so many factors, but I think that um, maybe people from other parts of the country don't necessarily understand, but like um, there's a, there's a, it's a more, localized conference i guess i would say it was not it has not expanded into four time zones like some of these other leagues have colorado and utah were as far east as they went and usc and ucla going in up north and playing cal and stanford was kind of an intrinsic part of their experience as fans um you know the apple cup the we it's not called the civil war anymore but the oregon organs these are games that have been played for over 100 years um and I do think there was a bit of a bond. I'm saying in past tense already, but I guess it's got another year. There was some, something of a bond about um, 
the Pac-12, the West Coast, like being kind of the forgotten conference a lot of times, the East Coast bias, the late kickoffs, like they kind of, the, the fans, I think were more like almost protective of the conference and of the other teams than maybe in some other leagues. Obviously it's not as rabid as the SEC or the Big Ten, uh, but to say that nobody cares about football out here is just not true. There's a lot of fans who generation after generation has had season tickets and um, their fall revolved around tailgates. And, and of course, these schools are going to keep playing football. They're just not going to keep playing football against each other. John Treat, he's heartbroken. Stanford is defined by its athletic department top to bottom, and athletes are far more part of the social life on campus than just about any other school. The idea that this might change forever to make Fox and ESPN execs more money makes me so sad. I played on the Stanford baseball team. What is going to happen to our program? I feel so betrayed and so worried that this will really impact a place that I deeply care about. And obviously we got similar ones about Cal. They're going to be, I have. I don't know what's going to, people keep texting me all weekend. What's going to happen with Stanford? What's going to happen with Stanford? It's true. Like, I don't think this is all about football, obviously. But Stanford takes so much pride in the national championships and conference championships that they win in almost every other sport. The one I was really, you know, talking to people about this weekend is women's basketball. That this would be like if if Duke basketball no longer had a had a place to play or or Kansas basketball. Stanford women's basketball is an absolute powerhouse. They go to the Final Four. They won a national championship just a couple of years ago. Um, baseball's in the World Series. Softball's in the. I think they almost made the World Series. And so on and so forth. And they, but how do you fund these teams without power five money? I think that is what, you know, got is, has everybody there freaking out right now. Not that Oregon state and Washington state and Cal aren't also freaking out, but um, the, the effect goes so far beyond football. I think some of the, uh, some of the other angst also would probably have to be, I think you have to look closer at your athletic department's leadership and your university's leadership. Because if you're saying, how could they get blindsided by this? I feel honestly like Oregon State and Washington State were, were just way more vulnerable. Stanford and Cal, I'm not saying they were, they were sitting at the top of the food chain too, but I just feel like their perspective on things is different. Like I feel like Washington State and Oregon State are doing about everything they probably could have within their power and they were just squeezed out of it by, by people who just didn't care for them and just, they just didn't see them as, as viable for what they want to do. Whereas Stanford and Cal, I think you have to look and say, okay, what do they want to be? Because if you're telling them how that it's not as important to them as it is to USC, UCLA, Washington, and Oregon, I'm not saying they definitely have gone part of it, but some of the decisions they've made have, and the, you know, the things you're talking about that, that happened because football isn't viewed the same as it is in those other sports. Yeah. I think there's a feeling of like this happened to us. And really, you know, if this, if this had all blown up, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, Stanford might've gotten invited to the big 10 because their football program was a national power at that point. Stanford let it fall into malaise and let David Shaw stick around probably longer than he should have. I was at their last game of the season last year. There was maybe 15,000 people in a 50,000 seat stadium. And a lot of them were BYU fans. So it's not exactly a wonder that the big 10 isn't going for them. 
Cal has let their football gr- program uh, sink into the to the to oblivion for 15 years. You mentioned the Aaron Rodgers era before, um, but I also think you're right. Like they're behind the scenes. What has our leadership been doing ever since USC and UCLA left? Knowing this was absolutely a possibility to make sure they they had a life raft. I mean, I think the presidents of the Big Ten, because they are, you know, academics does matter to them, and uh, or at least they say it does, uh, would love to have be associated with Cal and Stanford. But TV money talks, and those two programs don't move the needle with TV. So it does not help Stanford's cause that their president resigned amidst a scandal uh, just a few weeks ago. Uh, their AD, Bernard Muir, um, is not necessarily seen as a, a mover and shaker. Um, I think he absolutely would have brought David Shaw back for yet another year if David Shaw didn't resign. And then there would have been even more empty seats in that stadium. So, you know, in, the, in that regard, you know, I, don't, I still don't like that anybody gets left behind, but they didn't. You're right. You know, you got to question leadership on those campuses as well. Can I ask you a question off that? And mm-hmm. this ties into something that a few people asked me over the weekend, which is we see the landscape of where this is going. By the way, our colleague Chris Vanini had a really good column on Monday morning about big picture stuff. If you haven't read it, I would say go check it out. Um, there was a couple of things that landed with me and I was like, yeah, I, I totally see where he's coming from. One of those points, which I, is something I got asked, and this is, speaks to your alma mater, especially Stu, Northwestern. Like knowing where the landscape is, and we talked about this offline a few days before, maybe a day or two before Oregon and Washington made their big move was, okay, what's in it for Northwestern, Purdue, Indiana, or whatever, like, you just got squeezed, pushed down further to the bottom, whether you realize it or not, that how confident would you feel maybe the next round or within the next 10, 15 years that you could get squeezed out of this, out of the Big Ten? Absolutely, because I've been saying for some time that all where this is headed, I mean, we were basically seeing... This whole, the Big Ten's, you know, um, the Big Ten is a TV property now. It's as much as they'll probably put out all their their literature about academics and tradition and blah, 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 blah. It's a TV property. It's owned by your employer, other employer. And it's not their TV rights are owned by your other employer, Fox. There's everybody knows Fox had a big role in USC and UCLA going there that when things started to blow up this week, the Big Ten could only afford to take Oregon, Washington, if there was money there. Um, the logical next step, and I, it won't be tomorrow, but it'll probably be like when the SEC's next contract runs out, is these TV networks will say, okay, well, we achieved our first goal, which was to consolidate more of the big brands into these two conferences. But why should we keep having to show, you know, half the games we show, yeah, we get Ohio State, but they're against Maryland. They're against Northwestern. They're against Purdue. We don't want those schools anymore in it. So I think, I don't think if it is, as long as the big 10 is the big 10, I don't think they're going to kick teams out. What I think is eventually going to happen is what I've written about many times, a college football premier league, a college football version of the NFL, the top 24 to 32 brands becomes its own product that feeds into the college football playoff. And there's going to be a lot of schools left behind. Don't want that to happen. Think it's inevitable because that's, the direction this has been heading for, you know, 20, 30 years at this point. Since you did some, some reporting and tied into a lot of streaming stuff and how that market is going. 
So for people who, who said, wait a minute, you know, we have a school, this is kind of like, okay, we already have this state. We don't need two schools from this state. Mm-hmm. You know, your school is in Illinois. Obviously they already have Illinois. Um, from your understanding, how valuable is it to have multiple places, Indiana and Purdue? Um, for- you know, that's a, that's a great question. I've seen, there's things that get written about realignment that I feel like are based on an outdated um, thought process. And the number one is market size. You're always seeing mentions of market size. That was really important 10 years ago when you were trying to sell cable subscriptions. These moves now are being driven by brands and how many people are, want to tune in that aren't necessarily fans of those teams. And, and I think that'll be especially true as, as it becomes more and more streaming. You know, the Pac-12 wasn't ready to jump on that boat just yet, but I think five, seven years from now, it would be totally normal to be joining a streaming product. In fact, ESPN itself, they flat out said, is going to eventually become a direct-to-consumer model. So that will have a big, big effect on um, how this thing, this stuff goes. I think one of the interesting plots, Bruce, you know, Florida State's out there threatening to leave the ACC, which would suggest that they may have some behind the scenes knowledge that there's a spot waiting for them in one of those conferences. But if you're the SEC, do you need another team in the state of Florida? Do you need another team in the state of South Carolina? You've already got those, those audiences, you know, you took another team from the state of Texas. Yeah. Well, that team is a huge, huge brand. And so I think what Florida state's banking on is Florida state. If you listen to that board of regents meeting last week, thinks that they are one of the premier brands in college football and drives all the value in the ACC and so, of course, the Big Ten or SEC would be thrilled to have them. And maybe they will, but the model is changing before our eyes. I mean, Oregon, Washington, or Oregon, let's just take Oregon. Nationally relevant program, back to the era we were talking about. They do pretty well on TV. They don't do Ohio State, Michigan. But is there much difference between, at this point, you know, this wasn't true when Bobby Bowden was at Florida State, but today, is there much difference between Oregon and Florida State as a TV brand? I don't know. And Oregon's having to go in at half price. I don't think Florida State goes into the SEC as a, as a full price member. So um, I'm not, I can't even remember now how we got on this tangent, but can we move to the next question? Sure. I was going to bring David up. David in Ann Arbor. As I was going to bring up recency bias, though, on this, too, because you mentioned Stanford is way down. Florida State is certainly trending up. I mean, the one of the big dominoes for the Pac-12 was Colorado leaving. I don't, you know, if Colorado doesn't have Deion Sanders, if it if it was still somehow, let's say, I don't know how Carl Durrell, if he got three wins, would have kept his job. But does Colorado end up leaving? Does anybody want him at that point? I don't think so. Yeah, I, I think as much as you're making these decisions based on the long term, you would think on the long term history of a program. You know, Utah got into the Pac-12 when it did because it had had some great seasons right before that. TCU got into the Big 12 when it did because it had just gone to the Rose Bowl. There's definitely a, a recency bias at play um, with some of these moves, no question. And that's why I said it's easy to look at Stanford right now and be like, well, who's going to watch those games? They were 3-9 uh, and nine each of the last two years. But if the Pac-12 had fallen apart when Christian McCaffrey was there, my guess is the Big 10 would go for Stanford. All right, getting back to the mailbag. This one's from David in Ann Arbor. As conferences become larger, should they play more games inside their conference? That would make it possible for all teams to have a home and away 
in four years and also protect multiple rivalries not possible anymore after growing from 16 to 18. What is the downside for the Big Ten to play 10 conference games? I think they should. Um, in the COVID year when the SEC played 10 conference games, I thought people would see how great it was to have you know meaningful games every single week instead of how the SEC does it now. And want to do that and it's been the opposite the sec still hasn't budged on eight um you know the 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 argument against it would be um you know the big 10 in some ways helps subsidize the mac right those teams need those those guaranteed paydays in large part to fund their budget and that's certainly true for um fcs teams uh when they play in those games but if we're making all these moves based on television wouldn't it stand to reason that that would go by the wayside and you would make decisions based on what what's going to give you the, the best possible TV brought, product to sell to the market? And I, yes, I would think um, if this were the next Big Ten deal and Fox was bidding on it, knowing they're going to get 10 of those games per team instead of nine, uh, knowing they're going to get less, um, you know, uh, Ohio State versus Toledo, and more, even if it's like Ohio State versus Minnesota, that's a huge difference in ratings. So um, I, my vote is yes. What about you? My vote is yes, too, because I think it's just better games. So, I mean, I always take the better competitive games over, you know, there's, you're going to throw in a Mac game and some, something else that just feels like it doesn't fit. So I would say that. Um, but again, this is... I, I, you know, I, you had Notre Dame on some of these rivalry games, whether it was Michigan State, now it's Ohio State, before it was certainly Michigan. Um, we know they played Northwestern. We know they played a bunch of other schools. I'd still like to see those games. If you're, if you're Notre Dame, obviously, I think you would too. Um, you do want to give up your USC Notre Dame game, right? That's now a Big Ten consideration, as weird True. as that feels. Yeah, they do. They need, to, they need at least one spot open for those Power Five rivalry games. And then you might say, well, I want the other slot to be um, a, a big home and home, although all the big brands are now in these two conferences. So uh, there's not going to be as many opportunities for home and homes against glamorous programs from other conferences. Like, I don't think Ohio State would be like, whoa, 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 we need a spot. We can't do that because we want to play uh, Texas Tech. Um, they, they, That's not something that's going to be a huge move, needle mover for Ohio State. So... Um, I think, I think this, like the Oregon, Washington one in particular, but even USC, USC, UCLA was a very, you know, that came together very quickly. Oregon, Washington came together in 48 hours, basically. I think as the big 10 gets into figuring out these schedules, they're going to realize what a nightmare they've created and that they are going to need more conference games to make it work. All right. Before we sign off, Bruce, I did want to get to this one from Fred about uh, a tweet from former Notre Dame women's basketball coach, Muffet McGraw. Rick Pitino had a similar one. I just saw her tweet suggesting football break off separately and let basketball and Olympic sports remain in the regional conference model. Don't some of Notre Dame sports play in the ACC while football is independent? In that spirit, can other schools do similar? Football goes wherever, wherever they want while every other sport stays in the Pac-12. Absolutely, I think that should happen. I think it should happen yesterday. I don't know how to make it happen because it's not like, you know, I saw some people blame the NCAA for this. The NCAA has no control over who joins what conferences. There's no, 
there's nobody at the top to say, no, 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 no. This is getting out of hand. We got to, we got to rearrange the, the, the chairs here a little bit, but if like play whoever you want in football, it's only a few road trips a year. It's the one driving the TV ratings. Absolutely. But it makes no sense whatsoever that if Oregon wants to play football in the big 10, that all of their other teams, uh, one of our other ones mentioned the Washington rowing team is going to have to go to the other side of the country to play most of their conference games whether it's called the PAC 12 or something completely different, I think there should be like a regional um, pod for each of the other sports. Now football would still need to fund it, right? If Oregon's in the big 10 in football, they still need to send money back to Oregon's athletic departments, pay for the other teams in the other conference. But I mean, this is ridiculous. If if we're going to keep doing four time zone conferences, um, Washington's going to Washington, Oregon, you know, are going to have to use a lot of that new Big Ten money to pay for increased travel. It's like almost a wash. Like they're going to make more than they would have from that Apple deal, and they're going to spend it all sending their teams all over the country. All right, we will have to leave it there. Um, I don't think we'll do a podcast, another podcast later this week, but you never know. And real quick, just as we're signing off, Pete Thamel, our friend, sources in the next 24 hours, there's two calls for the ACC to vet and have early exploratory discussions on the potential addition of Cal and Stanford. So, which would be, as we said, which would be even worse than what you just said with Oregon and Washington, because almost none of those ACC teams are in the, um, you know, they're all. I can't even begin to fathom how that would work, but it would certainly help Cal and Stanford bail them out of their, you know, problem we just talked about earlier. And I think probably the reason that those calls are being had more than anything is Duke, UNC, Virginia, Wake Forest, these kind of schools would love to be in business with Cal and Stanford. So maybe we'll be back for an emergency pod in 24 hours, Bruce. We'll see.